Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Boston Sanctuary since 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the Boston metropolitan area and beyond. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. We're located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets in downtown Boston, Massachusetts. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. We all know suffering, and not just the pain of watching Jersey Shore. No, I'm speaking of something slightly deeper. I'm referring to the suffering of a friend living with severe chronic pain. And I'm referring to the suffering of an elderly relative plagued by social isolation. And I'm referring to the suffering of a spouse deflated by a lost job with fears of financial ruin. And I'm referring to the suffering of a co-worker caught in a nasty divorce and ongoing family strife. And I'm referring, above all perhaps, to an existential angst that calls into question the very meaning and purpose of life. William James, the great American pragmatist philosopher, was once asked whether life was worth living. His response, it depends on the liver. It depends on how we respond. So how do we respond to the real presence of suffering in our lives? At our worst, with a loss of faith in being itself but at our best, with compassion. We give our hearts, we swell our souls in compassion. What is compassion? We throw around the term a lot, but what does it entail truly? What does it look like? What does it feel like, this compassion that saves us from the existential snare of suffering. Well, let's begin with its etymology, with the origin of of the word. The term compassion derives from the Latin conjunction, com, pati, literally together, suffer. Pati, or passion here, refers to misery, to woe, to the endurance of great trials and tribulations, as in the passion of Christ, or the passion of the viewer watching Mel Gibson's Passion of Christ. In this way, to have compassion for someone is to be moved by their passion, by their suffering, and to join them in it, to compati, to suffer another's plight together. As a record of the human condition since time immemorial, the Hebrew Bible overflows with stories of suffering. Therein lies a great part of its power and its relevance to us today. 
Take, for example, the birth of Moses. We read in the book of Exodus about the Pharaoh's daughter leisurely bathing at the river when she suddenly spots a basket amidst the reeds. Quickly, she orders one of her handmaidens to go and retrieve it, and then holding this basket in her hand, she opens it, casting her eyes on an innocent, helpless, disoriented child, waiting for his mother, wailing for his mother, abandoned, cast off, deserted, all on his own. We read in the King James translation, and when she had opened it, it being the basket. When she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept, and she had compassion on him. What was her reaction upon seeing this crying child? Compassion. In the Hebrew, chamal, meaning to take pity, to show mercy, to spare. This is the image of compassion that is most familiar to us, I wager, having someone else's pain pull on our heartstrings. The traditional view of compassion that we know and that we often think of is content to suffer together. And this is truly holy work. But therein lies and lurks a danger as well the danger of attaching ourselves not to the person, but to her predicament, not to the wholeness of that person's being, but rather to the partialness of that person's dilemma. I want to suggest this morning that suffering together is the beginning of compassion. To see another person suffer and to vicariously join them in that suffering creates a moment of compassionate connection. It swings wide the doors of our heart. But it will likely be short-lived. Often we require something more to invite the sufferer through those doors and into the heart that we have for the long haul. Return with me to the story of that Pharaoh's daughter. I mentioned her initial reaction to the sight of that weeping baby, chamal, or pity. Well, in Hebrew, though, there is another closely related word, chamal, meaning to become warm, to grow hot. I want to believe that when the Pharaoh's daughter opened that basket and heard the cry of that young child, her heart ignited, it became hot. And at that, it was triggered less by the child's plight and more by the child's promise. Her soul burned for the life and for the love that was locked within that young child. Now, I am not suggesting that his suffering went unnoticed, nor should it, ever. But I am suggesting that perhaps pain was not enough, that it was possibility that she saw. Long before he was named Moses or Moshe, meaning to draw out, that young girl drew out of him She drew life. She drew out his will to live. 
and then she compassionately sought to protect it. There are certain lives that we encounter that preach. Moses' life was one. So too is the life of a woman that I came to know this past summer. I shall call her Ayana. I first met Ayana because she had requested to see me, a chaplain. Her room was dark with the shades mostly drawn, save for a couple sharp rays of sunlight that cut through the cold shadows. I rustled my way into a yellow plastic gown and I entered, troubling the perfect stillness that was covering her room. Ayana sat at the far end of her room, upright, cloaked in blankets. I could only make out her strong eyes. Her deep black skin faded into the surrounding darkness. You called a chaplain, I began. Yes, she whispered. I pulled up a chair and I sat down. I visited with Ayana almost every other day for three months. She would tell me stories about her life back in Africa before she developed an acute form of cancer. And she would relay with a soft but nevertheless detectable trepidation her fear of the grueling medical treatment that she was undergoing a type of stem cell transplant that had never been performed before anywhere in the world. Her protocol was literally the first of its kind. She had no companions for the journey, no other patients to beckon her from beyond the finish line. It was a very lonely, a very scary, a very uncertain place to be. But Ayana had her baby, and she had her Bible. Her teenage son was the love in her life, and a small cohort of biblical figures were the love of her life. She cared for him, and they cared for her. One day, a nurse motioned to me that I should see Ayana immediately. She's not doing very well at all, I was told. And so I gowned up, I opened that heavy door, and I slipped into her room. I wheeled a chair next to the side of her bed where she lay in groaning agony, covered in thick blankets, and literally wrapped in IV tubes. When she saw me, she let out a deep breath and attempted a smile. So much pain, she said. I gently reached for her hand, tenderly caressing it with my fingers. And then she glanced down at her hands. I've changed so much. Sometimes when I see my hands or my face, I wonder what God thinks about it. She lifted her head, gesturing at this picture that was sitting on her nightstand, and I reached over, I picked it up, and I studied this mysterious figure, young, grinning, strong, stunning. That's me, she said. 
before I was so sick. The chemotherapy had irreversibly disfigured her face and darkened her skin. Ayana had not only lost her health, she had truly lost herself. She had lost her appearance. She had lost her independence. She had lost her ability to care for her son, to be the mother that she so aspired to be. All I want, she continued, all I want is to be a prayer warrior. Give me back my life, and I will serve God. So they are in the throes of a suffering that I will never know, nor really ever comprehend. Ayana wanted nothing more than to serve, to be of service to the God who had blessed her with this son, to the God who held her as she fell apart. All I want, she mumbled, is to be a prayer warrior. Her cheeks brightened, her eyebrows lifted, and for a split second we locked eyes. You want to be a prayer warrior, I whispered, but Ayana, you already are. Softly she closed her eyes and quietly we began to pray. Suffering generates a compassionate connection, but compassionate relationship requires something more, a different kind of passion. I submit this morning that enduring compassion rests on the passion of devotion, that intense feeling or impulse that you experience for something or someone that you love your passion for learning, your passion perhaps for exploring, your passion for a partner, your passion like Ayana for prayer. I have learned that to build long-lasting, compassionate relationships, we must take the time to find, we must take the time to listen for, deeply listen for, we must take the time to then bear witness to these forms of devotion. Compassion, then, is a way of seeing as much as it is a way of being. You might say that we develop compassion when we discover passion, that we develop compassion when we discover someone else's passion for life, that we can develop compassion for ourselves when we discover our own deepest passions in this life, when we find the warrior within. In our reading this morning, Elizabeth Alexander closes her poem, I believe, with a single question. She asks, poetry, here I hear myself the loudest, is the human voice and are we not of interest to each other? Compassion answers the simple question with yes. We are 
of interest to each other. Compassion in this sense is truly a poetic craft, for it, like poetry, asks us to look in the commonplace and find there the extraordinary. See, it cries, see the world's beauty in an irreversibly disfigured face. See the world's goodness in the humble wish to serve. Find these truths, find them hiding in human lives. Gather them up and then record those discoveries on the page of your own life. Don't ask what the world needs, Howard Thurman writes. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. Ayana was suffering, deeply suffering, but she had come alive through her passion for prayer, and I came alive with her. She died two weeks after I left the hospital, but she hasn't stopped living. We all know suffering, so let us respond with compassion. The world needs people who have come alive. May Ayana not be the exception. Amen, and blessed be.